We are going to be in the book of Jude together this morning. The book of Jude, or maybe more accurately, the letter of Jude, um, which is what it is. The book of Jude often gets lost in the shadow of Revelation. The book of Revelation comes right after uh, the book of Jude, and so I think we often are so anxious about getting to Revelation, and we spend so much time in Revelation that often the book of Jude, the short little book right before it, uh, gets lost. But Jude is a, is a wonderful book, a precious book. I read through it in my own devotions six, eight months ago, uh, and I was like, oh, I got I to gotta preach from this. This is good stuff. I think that about every time I read through a book in devotions, but eventually I do get to preach through something. So Jude is where we're going to spend our time. Um, this morning, I was going through the sermon, as I always do early on Sunday morning in here, and I realized that uh, I had way more that I wanted to say about verse 1a, and I had way more that I wanted to say uh, about verse 1b and 2, and so I just cut the sermon right in half, and uh, we're only going to be in verse 1a this morning. So I thought this would take seven weeks, now it appears it might take 48, but um, <laughs> we'll see about that. But uh, I just, you look at the first two verses, and there's just so much precious truth there. And, and I really, I wanted to spend a lot of time on, on, you know, verse 1b, called, beloved, kept. Those are just words we can spend a lot of time on. So we're going to do that next week. And I also had some more I wanted to say about uh, just verse 1a, uh, along with the introduction. And so we're going to focus on verse 1a together this morning. Uh, we'll do 1B next week. The title is To Those Who Are Called. We're not even getting to that, but that's okay. Um, I want to read through the whole letter each week as we study the book of Jude, and then we'll obviously just focus on part of it. So we're going to read through the whole letter of Jude. Uh, Bibles are open. Hear then the Word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael 
contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, The Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And I direct your attention to our text this morning, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to study it together again this morning. Lord, this letter of Jude says some strong things about a false teaching that existed in your church 2,000 years ago, and as we'll see, it's a false teaching that continues to exist in your church today. So, Lord, we pray that by this letter, you would make us wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Dear congregation, there is a scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian and hopeful are led by shepherds from the delectable mountains up to the top of a hill called Error, which is very steep on the farthest side. And the shepherds, they tell Christian and Hopeful to peer over the edge and to look down to the bottom. And when Christian and Hopeful do, they see several men dashed to pieces at the bottom because they had fallen from the top of this hill called Error. Christian then asks the shepherds, 
What does this mean? And the shepherds say, these are pilgrims who've been led into error by listening to false teachers, and their bodies remain unburied at the bottom of the mountain to this day to serve as an example to others to take care that they don't climb too high or come too near the brink of this mountain. Of course, John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, is his point in that scene is that there are many professing Christians who've made a shipwreck of their faith and of their souls because they've listened to false teachers and been led astray by erroneous doctrine and teaching. And so God's people, they do need to be careful lest they too fall off the edge of the hill called error and dash themselves to pieces at the bottom. The book of Jude is a book, or as I said more accurately, a letter written to keep God's people off the hill called error. This is a book which confronts a false teaching, which, as I said, was prevalent in the first century and which is still very prevalent today. It is the false teaching of antinomianism. I'll Englishize it, don't worry. Nomos is the Greek word for law. Antinomianism simply means lawlessness, all right? It means lawlessness. Lawlessness is the opposite of legalism. Legalism is, of course, another error that God's people can fall into. Um, Legalism essentially says that it's through the law that you gain acceptance with God and salvation. It's by doing certain things that you earn God's approval. Legalism is the problem Paul addresses in the book of Galatians. You might remember people came in behind Paul, and they were saying to the Christians in Galatia, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to do more than that. You also need to be circumcised. You need to keep this part of the law to be saved. That's legalism. Legalism looks to the law, and it looks to one's doing certain things for salvation. If that's a ditch that lies on one side of the road of the Christian life, the ditch that lies on the other side of the road is, is the ditch of lawlessness. And this is, this is the teaching that says, you know, the believer in Jesus can live however he or she wants. It's the teaching that essentially says, since God is gracious, let sin abound. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter how you live. All that matters is that you love Jesus. And lest we think this error of lawlessness doesn't exist today, I want to show you how it, how it does. This is, this, is, this is an editorial written recently by a professing Christian and published in The Banner, which is our denominational magazine. This man, this professing Christian, wrote this, Paul says that what you do matters not 
if you do it unto the Lord. He doesn't say where Paul says that, and I looked for a while. (laughs) Couldn't find that exact phrase. But that's what he wrote. Paul says that what you do matters not if you do it unto the Lord. We are not held together as believers by a code of conduct, but by our love for Jesus. True, but this is where he astrays. We are not held together by a code of conduct, but by our love for Jesus, manifested in a rainbow variety of different behaviors. I think you can figure out why he uses the word rainbow right there. You can tell what he's advocating for. But he says, we're held together by our love for Jesus, manifested in a rainbow variety of different behaviors. You get what he's saying, right? What you do doesn't matter. All that matters is that you love Jesus. It is true that all that matters is that you love Jesus. But what did Jesus say? He who loves me will keep my commandments, right? It's a false teaching. It's lawlessness. It's not true. That article was from last October, that editorial, okay? But this, this, this heresy, this false teaching, it's... it's been around for 2,000 years. This is the error which is being confronted by Jude in this letter. Take a look at verse 4. Jude says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, crept into the church, who long ago were designated for condemnation. Ungodly people, and what do these ungodly people do? They pervert the grace of God into sensuality. I prefer the NIV translation because it makes the point well. The NIV says this, they pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. And in so doing, deny our only master, Jesus Christ. So do you hear what's going on? Do you hear how people are perverting the grace of God. They're saying the grace of God gives you a license to sin. It gives you a license to indulge the flesh, to live however you want. Jude says, no, that is a perversion of the gospel. This is the false teaching that Jude is confronting in this letter, the false teaching of lawlessness. We don't know exactly when this letter was written. It could have been written as early as the mid-50s A.D., or it could have been written as late as maybe 90 A.D. There's good arguments for either date. We do know that Jude shares many things in common with 2 Peter, and because of this, most scholars believe that either Peter referred to Jude or used Jude as he was writing his letter, or Jude used Peter as he was writing his letter. If Peter uses Jude, which is what most believe, that favors an early date before 66 AD. If Jude uses Peter, that favors a later date, probably after 70 AD. So we we don't know when this letter was written. We also don't know exactly who this letter was written to. Uh, the address in verse 1b is pretty generic. For instance, sometimes Paul will say, you know, to the saints in Ephesus. Well, we know he's writing to Christians living in Ephesus. Uh, Jude's, Jude's address is, is generic, right? He, he, he's simply writing to those who are called, beloved, and kept. It's, it's generic. It's, it's a letter written to believers. That's about the only 
conclusion we can draw. Certainly, we know that's how God intended it because God wants us to hear very much this letter being written directly to us. The address allows that. What we do know about this letter, and certainly you heard this as I was reading it, is that Jude has some strong words for those false teachers who've crept into the church and who've led God's people onto the hill called error. Again, you see those strong words in verses 4 through 16. Jude also has some very relevant and applicable words for God's people living in the midst of of false teachers. And we see those words in verses 1 through 3, and then again after verse 17. Now, before Jude gets to the meat of the letter, whereby he will call his readers to contend for the faith, there are two things he wants us to know. First, he wants us to know who he is. Second, he wants us to know who we are as believers. Uh, Again, we were going to take both of those things this morning. Now we're just going to take the first one. We'll take the second one next week, right? Who is Jude? Who is Jude? Well, we see the answer to this question in verse 1a. The letter begins with with a standard introduction, an introduction that, that followed a typical formula in first century letters. This is what Jude writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. That's the introduction. Now, the name Jude is to Judas what the name Nate is to Nathan, or Pete is to Peter, or um, I don't know, Carl is to Carl. No, it doesn't work, does it? You get it. The name Jude is short for um, Judas. And Judas uh, was a very, very common name in the first century. Actually, Judas, too, is just, just the Greek version of Judah. Judah was a Hebrew name. Judas is the Greek version. But, but Judas was a very common name in the first century. And this is seen in the fact that one-sixth of Jesus' disciples had the name Judas. There was Judas Iscariot, whom we know well. But there was also another disciple whose name was Judas. He's called Judas, son of James, in Luke 6, 16. And my favorite, he's called Judas, not Iscariot, in John 14, 22. Thank you for making that clear, I'm sure he said, <laughs> right? In Matthew and Mark, he goes by another name. It's the name Thaddeus, right? So you maybe have heard of Thaddeus in your list of the disciples. That's, that's this man named uh, Judas. Uh, so one-sixth, or one, you know, two-twelfths, one-sixth of Jesus' disciples had the name Judas. In addition to this, the New Testament tells us about a number of other Judases as well. In Mark 6.3, we're told that Jesus had a brother named Judas, right? Mark 6.3, you read the list of Jesus' brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. In Acts 5.37, we read about Judas the Galilean. In Acts 9.11, we read about Judas who lived on Straight Street. In Acts 15, we read about Judas called Barsabbas, who sailed with Silas on his missionary journey after he and Paul uh, broke up. So, so Judas was a very common name in first century Israel. Thankfully then, this man Judas, or Jude as he refers to himself here, he tells us more about himself. He tells us also that he's a servant of Christ. We're going to come back to that. He then tells us he's the brother of James. Now, that last detail 
can help us. In the first century, in the church, there was only one James who could be spoken about in such an unqualified way as Jude does here. There's only one James who came to people's mind when they heard the name James stand alone as it does here. There was only one James who needed no further introduction. And it's the James we read about in Acts 12, Acts 15, and Acts 21, who was a leader, perhaps even the leader in the early church. That's the same James who wrote the book of James. He was well known amongst the believers in the first century. In the first century, amongst believers, we might say that he was, he was the James in a world full of Jameses. If Jude was speaking about any other James here, he would have had to specify who that James was, but he doesn't because everybody knows of the James of whom he speaks. Interestingly enough, James himself was well known, not only because he was a leader in the early church, but he was also well known because he was the Lord Jesus Christ's brother. Galatians 1.19, Paul writes, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James was Jesus' brother, technically half-brother. They had different fathers, but you get it. James was Jesus' brother. If you go back to the list of Jesus' brother in Mark 6, Verse 3, the first name you'll see on that list is the name James. Now, you're smart people. (laughs) I think you're probably connecting the dots already, right? I already told you that Jesus had a brother named Judas. Now we learn that, that, that Jesus had a brother named James as well. And here Jude says that he has a brother named James. So has it clicked yet who this man Jude is? He himself is Jesus' brother. Go back to Mark 6.3. Jesus' brothers are listed. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And once again, it's not hard to see why Jude says, you know what, don't call me Judas anymore. After everything that happened, I'll just go by Jude, right? It's easy to see how that shift could have taken place. This Jude is Jesus' brother, half-brother again, but, but you get it. Now, it's noteworthy that Jude does not refer to himself as Jesus' brother. Instead, Jude refers to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos. It actually means more like slave. So he refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, let me ask you, would you refer to yourself as a servant or a slave of your brother or sister? We were at the dinner table this week, and I asked Adri, Adri, would you refer to yourself as your brother's servant? She goes, no way. (laughs) But that's how Jude refers to himself here, as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a servant of the very one who is, by flesh and blood standards, his half-brother. I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning focusing on this self-designation that Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ. And what I want us to see together is simply this. In this self-designation, there is a contrast, there is a correction, and there is a whole lot of grace. 
There's a contrast, there's a correction, there's a whole lot of grace. First, there's a contrast. Notice what Jude says about the false teachers who've crept into the church and perverted the grace of God. We see that in verse 4. He says, they deny our only master and Lord. You see what Jude's saying there? He's saying, these people, they sound nice, they, they look the part, but don't be fooled. They are not servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the self-designation, then Judas contrasting himself with the false teachers. He's saying, here's the fundamental difference between me and them. Here's why you should listen to me and not them. It's because I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are not. Certainly, this gives Jude some clout, doesn't it? Certainly, this puts some teeth behind his letter. Essentially, with this self-designation, Jude is saying, I speak on behalf of my master. I speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I read this in my own devotions, I put a note uh, in my notes to look this up when I preached on this text, but, but, but I couldn't help but think of an article uh, also out of the banner. If you don't get the banner, um, we can talk about that later, but many pastors have asked the banner to stop sending it to members of their church, uh, and this is uh, kind of why, but, but it was from the banner. It was last October, and last October, the banner, our denominational magazine, came out with an edition entitled Same-Sex Relationships in the CRC, and, and they have an agenda. They're trying to soften the people of the CRC uh, to this, and they're trying to say it's not, it's not no bad. They're, they're priming the pump. It's quite evident. But in this article, they, they interviewed several CRC members uh, about the issue of same-sex marriage uh, and the church. Um, most of the interviews uh, made me cry. There was one from one of my friends, which is wonderful, and I can commend that to you later. I uh, gave a great testimony of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus in the midst of his own struggle with same-sex attraction. But, but anyway, uh, there was one particular article in here that caught my eye. It was by a lady who, she's, she's married to her partner. She goes to a church in Grand Rapids. She believes, you know, all of us should be okay with that. Uh, and she, but she began her article this way, and this is why it caught my eye. This is how she began her article, these words. I quote, I am a child of the denomination. I grew up in Holland, Michigan, going to Christian school, attending church services twice on Sunday, and discussing the sermon with my grandfather at coffee. I am a fourth-generation Calvin University graduate, and after finishing graduate work, I took a teaching position there. That's how she began her article. And you can see what she's doing, right? If you have eyes to see it, you can see what she's doing. She's saying, you should listen to me because of these things. You should listen to me because of these credentials. This makes, this makes what I have to say worthwhile. Now contrast that with Jude's opening, remembering well that Jude is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Tell me which one's more powerful. Tell me which one you'd rather listen to. The one who begins, I'm a child of this denomination, I went to Christian school and I graduated from Calvin University. Or the one who begins with this, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'll take the servant of Jesus Christ, thank you. And I'll hear what he has to say about using the grace of God as a license for immorality. 
rather than the one who, appealing to our CRC roots, uses the grace of God as a license for immorality. There's a contrast here, a contrast we need to see, a contrast that must get our attention. Jude, oh, I got a lot of credentials. I'm the brother of Jesus, but this is all that matters. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also correction here because the temptation for many of us is to rest on our earthly credentials in our relationship with Jesus rather than on what truly matters. If we go back to that banner article I just cited, it's kind of low-hanging fruit at this point, but I would say that's, that's exactly what the author there is doing. She's resting on the fact that she's a lifelong CRC member who went to church twice a Sunday and attended Calvin, all things we hold high in our denomination. She was essentially saying to us, you know, because of these things, you can trust that I'm a good person and I'm not someone whose salvation you should doubt. But we all fall into that trap, don't we? We all fall into that trap. It's not unique to her. Don't get bogged down by, by the, the big issue addressed there. It's not, it's not unique to her. We all have an ability, and we're all tempted to rest on our credentials. We all have the ability to rest on our church attendance, to rest on the fact that our parents and grandparents were believers, or that we attend Christian school, or that we give you know, money to the church every week. We, we have an ability to rest on that and to think, you know, it's all good because of these things. And yet Jude here is reminding us that the only proper and meaningful relationship one can have with Jesus is as his servant. I mean, if anyone had any reason to boast in their earthly credentials, it was Jude. I shared a room with this guy. He says, no, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude understands what matters. Jude understands what's really important Jude gets that it's not by being the earthly brother of Jesus that one is saved. It's by believing in Jesus that one is saved. We need to get that too. Because, because, because in our hearts, we are, we are people who, if we're not careful, you know, we say to ourselves, well, I've, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm good. And Jude says, that's fine. But are you a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? In our hearts, we might say with this woman, I'm a, I'm a fourth-generation member of the CRC. I went to Kelvin. She says, I don't care if you're Jesus' brother. I want to know if you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our hearts, we say, you know what? My friend David Dick said this once in a sermon. I've always longed to use it. I don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. <laughs> she says, good for you. What I want to know is if you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our hearts, we might say it with the Pharisee in the temple, Lord, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Look at me. And Jude says, you want a cookie? I want to know if you're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is correction here. With this self-designation, Jude reminds us of what really matters in our relationship with Jesus, and it's faith. Do we trust in Him and Him alone, or are we trusting in ourselves and in our credentials? Finally, in the self-designation, we see that there is grace. Jude wasn't always a servant of Jesus Christ. If we go back to Mark 3.21, we'll see that Jesus' family thought He was crazy, and they wanted to lock Him up because they were embarrassed by Him. 
If you go to John 7, 5, we're told that not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. Jude wasn't always a servant of Jesus. There was a time when he was embarrassed by Jesus. There was a time when he wanted nothing to do with Jesus and with the words that Jesus was speaking. And yet now, Jude calls himself a servant of Jesus. We can kind of get what happened where the change came. Uh, In Acts 1.14, shortly after Jesus ascends into heaven, we read that Jesus' brothers were among the believers who were in the upper room devoting themselves to prayer. It seems that the resurrection changed the minds of Jesus' brothers. Jesus rose from the dead, they saw him, they understood, and they said, truly, truly he is Lord, truly he is Christ, truly he is the Messiah, truly he is the Savior of sinners, truly he is the Son of God, truly I must bow before him and give my life to him and worship him and serve him. The resurrection, it seems, is where the change took place. It's the resurrection which caused Jesus' brothers to be converted to him. And yet the fact that Jude who was once an unbeliever, who thought the Lord Jesus Christ was out of his mind, can now call himself a servant of Jesus and can now be used by God to write this powerful and timely letter which has blessed the church for 2,000 years and continues to bless the church today, makes it plain to all of us, doesn't it, that with the Lord, there is forgiveness. With the Lord, there is forgiveness forgiveness. Yes, it's true. Some of us are tempted to base our salvation on our credentials. We are tempted to hold out to God our church attendance and our giving and our, you know, going to Christian school and, 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 and we need to be corrected in our thinking. We need to remember that what matters is whether or not we are Christ's servant. But it's also true that some of us are tempted to despair of our salvation because our past is so sinful and because we walked in unbelief for so long And we think, you know, God couldn't want nothing to do with me. And yet we too need to be corrected in our thinking. Because the truth is, there is mercy and there is grace and there is forgiveness for all who, like Jude, recognize the error of their ways, repent of their sin, and humbly offer themselves to Christ by faith as a willing servant. Yes, my friend, there is grace, a whole lot of grace in Jude's self-designation here. There is grace in seeing a former unbeliever refer to himself now as a servant of Christ and a servant who would be used mightily by God at that. It reminds us again that with the Lord, on the basis of Christ's once and for all sacrifice on the cross for all our sins, there is ever and always forgiveness. Perhaps you this day will learn from Jude. You will repent of your sins. You will put your faith in Christ. And you will call yourself Christ's servant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for this opening line in Jude's letter. And Lord, indeed, as we see how much truth is packed in just a few words written by your inspired servant Jude, we remember 
that your word contains unsearchable riches. Help us, Lord, to understand what you're saying to us in this opening line, to count ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ above all else by your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to stand and sing again. It was a song I had picked for the full sermon that I didn't preach, but I think it's still always relevant. Let's stand and sing together. greeting from the book of Jude, so will we give the parting blessing also from the book of Jude, one of the most glorious doxologies in all of Scripture. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, 
majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said,